Welcome to Monday Mornings with Michelle, the new business podcast. Whether you're kicking off your day or kickstarting your business, Michelle is going to kick your ass into next week with the essential fours. Strategy, systems, support, and state of mind. Now, welcome to center stage, Michelle Nedelec. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedlack. I'm super glad that you're here with us today because I am here with my most amazing guest, Jay. Thanks for being here with us, Jay. Pleasure to be here as always. I've been looking forward to being on this show. (laughs) Well, we are looking forward to having you. So for those of you who don't know Jay, Jay, if you could give us a 5,000 foot view of who you are and what do you do? So um, I am a serial entrepreneur for 30 some years. I think I'm on my ninth business, uh, which just means that, yes, I've had some pretty good successes, but I've also had massive failures. Um, I have started, scaled, bought, sold companies in that process and uh, made just about every mistake there is to make in the book. Um, and my current company, I do uh, business coaching. It's called The Profit Architects. And my focus is on two areas. I help small businesses as a business coach to focus on their profits um, and uh, work with them to find ways to increase the bottom line without total disruption to the company and um, you know, just finding all the areas that they can focus on, which will have uh, immediate or, or short-term impacts on the bottom line. And then I also uh, do a lot of sales training uh, because that's sort of been core to everything I've done in the entrepreneurial space. Um, so I uh, work with people to help them just convert more of the people who are already in their pipeline uh, and close more uh, prospects into paying customers. Awesome. So just to get the show off on the right foot, but we're not really going on Crete, um, and to set you off a little bit, to me, the word profit in business is about uh, the equivalent of talking about orgasms at the dining room table. Why does nobody talk about profit? Why is it like this taboo conversation? Everybody's talking revenue, everybody's talking expenses, but nobody's talking about actual profitability. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, So one of the things I do when I start to work with a client, you know, thanks to uh, Simon Sinek, we all understand now knowing your why, right? What's your personal why? What's your business why? But when I sit down with a client for the first time, I I start with what's your profit why? Because a lot of people, um, and and, uh, and we'll get into this, I'll tell you my hamster story in a minute, but um, a lot of people have of course, an you issue. know, I took that the right, the wrong way. So we're, we'll go both directions, <laughs> folks. But for now, we'll find out what he means by hamster later. Yeah, it's a big hamster. <laughs> um, so a lot of people have blocks around uh, making money, right? Um, they they think profit equals greed, um, and you know, I, I don't want to take advantage of people. Um, and, and there's sort of these mental blocks we have around money. And there's a thousand coaches, consultants out there that, you know, will teach you how to unrelease, uh, you know, release all your money blocks and, and pave your way to massive fortunes, um, w- which is great. But it means, you know, if you can remove all those blocks, but if you don't know how to build a business, it doesn't matter. Um, but there's a lot of things. So, th- so the idea of profit is just that 
you know, it doesn't matter. Like when I talk to a business owner about their profit, why, you know, it's like, I don't care why you want the profits, whether it's greed, whether you just want to take a vacation that you haven't had for the first five or seven years of your business, whether you want to just help more people through your business, whether you just want to make the world a better place and donate all the money. None of that matters, except it, it, it matters in one instance is if you ever want to sell your business. Um, there's just a lot of people that are delusional in the sense of they think grow, grow, grow. My business gets big enough. I can sell it. And that's just not true unless, you know, you're like an internet IPO or something. Um, the only way you're going to get a buyer for your business is if you have, you know, massive profit. Uh, and that's what they're buying. They're not buying you or your growth or your customers or anything. They want the profit. Absolutely. And I can't tell you how many businesses I have personally seen, and this may have been, it may have become an expression, but it still happens all the time where people are running at a lot profit loss and they go, yeah, but I make up for it in volume. It's right. like, no, nobody makes up for profit loss in volume, not even Walmart. Like nobody, yeah. if you're running at a profit loss, you are killing yourself, you're killing your business and it's not going to last. So I don't understand why would somebody want to have a, a volume increase and say, oh yeah, but okay, as soon as I get to X amount of clients, then I can go for profit because now I'm famous. Now people know me. Now I'm a household name. Like, why would they do that? Yeah. So, it, so it's a typical mentality and, and I'll, you know, my, my story, my first business um, was, you know, I was the typical first time entrepreneur. So it was all about growth, right? Um, more clients, more leads, more revenue. And when we're building a business, especially at the beginning, we'll take just about any client. They don't have to be a great fit if they're willing to send us some money and work with us. You know, we're going to take them. We're not going to refuse business because we need the revenue, right? So like in my first business, you know, when I hit 50 employees, I, you know, kind of my ego was pretty happy with myself. And when I hit 5 million in sales, I thought I was a hot shit. And I still, you know, five years into the business wasn't, you know, was barely making six figures, hadn't had a vacation in seven years. Um, I wasn't making any money. You know, fortunately for me, I figured it out. And by the time we hit 200 employees, I was, you know, coining money. And I ended up selling that business a few, few years later. Um, so, you know, that's a typical way entrepreneurs, you know, start out and grow their businesses. And, and they're fed by all the consultants and gurus that say, you know, grow more leads, you know, more revenue, throw anybody you can into that sales funnel um, because you just need, you know, you need warm bodies uh, to, to end up getting clients. Clearly not a system I'm an advocate of. And people, if you want ever want to hear me go on a rant about revenue profits in your business as compared to going out and having a sex life, it's a fantastic talk. <laughs> the parallels are hilarious. And it totally makes sense. You're not just going out to get laid. You want to get laid by the right people because getting laid for the sake of getting laid isn't going to help you to become successful in bed or in life. And likewise, just having a bunch of clients that piss you off and aren't very good at what they do isn't going to help you to grow your business either. So talk to me about most people that I've heard, coaches, drives me nuts, go, oh, okay, you have to raise your prices. So they just randomly double their prices and or whatever. And talk to me about kind of that whole process of creating a profit, profitability in your company. Well, 
that's certainly one of the avenues, right? Is pricing, and uh, you know, it's a, it's a similar to what we talked about before. A lot of people are afraid to raise prices because oh, I'll lose customers, and that's one of the things that you know I'll sit down with a business and do is say, okay, well, what if you did lose customers? You know, let's actually put numbers to that, and what does that mean in terms of okay, your price increase is this, and so what if you lose ten or fifteen, or in some, in some cases you can lose twenty for twenty five percent of your customers and still come out ahead you know, assuming your pricing isn't just random throwing darts at a, a dartboard. Um, but that's just one of the ways to increase profit. So what I do is I sit down with a company and I'll look at, you know, I mean, I can look at up to 40 different areas in the company. Typically, you know, it only takes looking at 15, 20 areas at the most where you can say, if we tweak this, we tweak this. And suddenly you come up with these huge numbers of, of profit that they can increase. And then it's just a matter of prioritizing, right? You say, okay, well, Here's 15 things we can do. What what are the ones that are easiest to implement with the biggest impact? We're starting there, rank them, and let's start working through them. Then next, what are the ones with the biggest impact that are not as easy to implement? Those come next, and you just work through them and, and uh, increase the profits for a company. Nice. When you say that there's a difference between, say, coaches, entrepreneurs, speakers, and raising their prices and versus somebody like trades or professionals like plumbers and electricians and lawyers and doctors? There is, um, but you know, when it's product driven um, and there's competitive products in the marketplace, you know, that that's a little trickier, but again, you have to look at what, you know, is there value adds that you can put, uh, you know, uh, bundle with your product that make it, you know, that people are willing to spend more money. And, and if you, can talk to people about the ROI of their product or service, um, which, which is something a lot of people aren't very good at doing. Um, it, it, you know, it really uh, comes out in the end. Nice. And do you find that most business, most businesses that their pricing is based on the CEO or the president of the company, or is it often because it's in somebody else's hands that they're going, oh, we can't do this? How does it usually go awry? Yeah, I, I think, you know, a lot of businesses feel that pricing is constrained by market pressures and, and what other their com, other people are charging. And, and they focus it on that and say, well, we can't charge too much than that person because we're similar. Um, and, and again, there, there's, you know, obviously some truth to that. You can't price yourself out of the marketplace. But at the, like I said, you know, there's lots of ways that you can, you know, add additional profits with bundling with upsells, downsells, um, you know, so a lot of it is in your marketing and advertising and just positioning yourself so that you can demand a higher price. Nice. And you brought up a great point of marketing. I find too, that a lot of people don't, don't put into their profit margin, things like their marketing budget, whether it's cost per clicks or, you know, we're, we need business cards. <laughs> Talk to me so, again about so like hard costs, soft costs. How does this all play into profitability? Well, to me, there's two critical factors. And one is, you know, everybody knows the sales funnel, right? So one is who you're putting into the sales funnel. Because again, a lot of businesses, they're grow, 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 and they'll put anybody in the sales funnel. doesn't matter, you know, if, if they have a, you know, if they're breathing and, and, you know, think they have a future need for your product or something like your product, great, put them in the sales funnel and, and, you know, some will trickle out at the end. 
And then the other thing, and, and this is where, you know, I work with a lot of people in the sales training aspect is you think about what's falling out the bottom of your funnel, what's leaking from your funnel, because they're not good at closing uh, the sale, right? They're not good at converting um, people into paying customers. They, they think they've got this big funnel that's just going to magically drop out the, the customers at the end. It, it's it's kind of like um, if the analogy is, you know, we used to go to those parties uh, back in college, some of us even after college, um, where you, you know, you put the funnel in your mouth and they pour beer into it. And, you know, it's a great way to, to get full. But, you know, if you recall, most people don't end up guzzling that whole beer without, you know, half of it coming out the, the end of the funnel and down your chin and all over your shoulders. Nobody likes leaky funnel. <laughs> less Nobody likes show. a leaky funnel. <laughs> Clean up your pipes, people. Nobody likes leaky funnel. So I think at this opportune moment, let's bring the hamsters in. <laughs> yeah. So the hamster. So the so so the title of my talk was "Stop Feeding Your Hamster," and it it should probably be more appropriately titled "Put Your Hamster on a Diet" because you don't want to starve your hamster. Um, you just don't want it to get fat and bloated. Um, so if you look at the hamster is your business, right? So most of us start out, <clears throat> we start feeding the hamster anything, right? We'll put anything in that funnel. We'll put Cheetos and Reese's cups and beer in the funnel and keep feeding the hamster. The hamster gets bigger and then you got to go out and buy a new hamster wheel. <laughs> keep feeding the hamster all this junk food. And the next thing you know, you're buying a bigger hamster wheel. And then the next thing you know, you got to buy a bigger cage to fit the hamster wheel and the hamster. And eventually the hamster outgrows. You can't buy a cage big enough. And the hamster is running around your house, shitting all over the place, creating messes. And you as a CEO end up spending 80% of your time cleaning up hamster shit. So that's where the <laughs> hamsters go. <laughs> right. So... The, the thing is, is to wean your hamster off the junk food, put the right kind of food in there, make sure that, you know, half the food's not spilling out uh, all over the face because uh, you're trying to guzzle it um, and uh, get a, a lean and mean hamster machine. <laughs> that is awesome. So um, <laughs> where do I take this? <laughs> you're not sure where to go with that one. <laughs> Oh, there's so many directions my brain went. Yeah. You gotta understand how my brain works, but I'm, you know, we'll keep this on, on the up and up. So when you're talking about keeping your hamster lean, let's go there. What kind of things should you be feeding your hamster? <laughs> well, I, you know, start with putting the right food in the top of the funnel, right? So making sure that your marketing is attracting people who are a good fit for your service or your product in the first place, right? Instead of just, you know, the mentality that, you know, more, 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 more people in my funnel. Um, and that's a big part of it right there is that, you know, like I, I can't tell you how many, you know, of my businesses when I started out, it took a while to figure out, you know, who are the right clients to put into it that we want going into that funnel? Who are the right clients that we want coming out at the end that we want to work with? And a lot of business owners just don't spend enough time really focusing on that. And, and again, it's just because you start feeding the machine, you start feeding the hamster and it's hungry. You know, it, it wants, the more you feed it, the more it wants um, as you grow with employees and, you know, 
uh, and then you're buying equipment to, you know, to, to run all this and, and it just gets out of hand. And that's what, you know, companies get into that place where they're not really making a lot of profit, but they're growing. So, you know, on the surface and they're, and as the CEO, you know, you, your ego is going like, yeah, I'm growing, like, this is great. Um, but meantime, you know, you're overworked, you're stressed, you know, you, you just don't have a life. Yep. I totally get that. So I'm going to assume that this is where the profit why comes in because We've been talking about that a little bit, but talk to me more about that and how it fits in. Yeah, so so it's really just a question of you know understanding why you want to be profitable and get getting comfortable with that profit and then what you're going to do with it, right? So that's the thing that I think again a lot of entrepreneurs don't look at because it's kind of like if they do make some tweaks and suddenly start to make some money then they're kind of like oh well now I'm making money now what do I do but if you plan for it ahead of time and say yes I'm, I'm going to make this much more money and here's how here's what I'm going to do with it and that's why what I meant by like, it doesn't matter what you want to do with it. If you want to just pocket it all and go on, you know, these fancy vacations or, or buy a fancy car, knock yourself out. But, you know, also realize that that's money that you could have reinvested into the company. That's money you could have just, you know, left in the company and, and on your books and that kind of thing. So that if you did get a potential suitor to come along and might want to buy your business, you know, that's really that understanding of what's your end game, right? Like, I think I was, you know, maybe four or five years into building my first company and somebody said, what's your exit strategy? And I was like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> what's an exit strategy? Because I built what? this business. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I built this business so I didn't have to work for somebody. And, you know, now I've got this big business and I'm busy as shit and I think I'm doing great. But um yeah. So, so part of it's just that, you know, it's planning for the profit, you know, it's understanding why you want that profit and what you're going to do with it. Nice. Well, I have found that the whole concept of pay yourself first and not for consumer wealth, but for investment wealth, for legacy wealth helps most small entrepreneurs or startup entrepreneurs to understand why they need to increase your profitability. So just for example, if you're going to go into real estate as your um, as your retirement fund, let's call it that for lack of a better word, that you want to be able to have X amount of dollars to be able to strip out of your business, to be able to invest into real estate for the purpose of this example. And if you don't have that profitability built into your books, then you're not going to have properties at the end of the year. You've got nothing to buy them with. So right. it, to me, it helped them entrepreneurs to be able to figure out why they need this exit strategy. I get it. You went into business for the freedom, but with that freedom also comes some responsibility of what the hell are you going to do after? If like, <laughs> if, the, if the ultimate freedom comes with, you don't have to do this job. I get it. You bought yeah. yourself a job, but really if it had passive income and created wealth for you, then you get to do this job, which is a totally different mindset and appeal. And then you start to realize, oh, hey, we actually do have a lot more expenses than I took into account. And like we got up the profitability here or start doing some shifts. So talk to me about somebody that can't just necessarily say they're in a high consumer a commodity um, occupation. And they, it's not just a matter of, oh, we'll double our price of widgets. What are some of the things that people can at least look at? 
So, I mean, like I said, there's a lot of different areas. I mean, you can you can analyze cost of goods and, and you can look at, you know, can, it, you know, you, you have to um, go with the assumption that, you know, people are doing the best they can, right? They think they're getting their the best cost of goods they can. But if you really, you know, when's the last time you shopped your cost of goods? When's, the, you know, the last time you, you know, tried an alternate source or tried to renegotiate your lease or, or those kinds of things. So there's a lot of people, a lot of things that people just take for granted that you can actually negotiate um, and, and get your costs lower just a, a, as one area. Um, and then, you know, employees is another one. I, I mean, staff cost is typically for a growing business, you know, one of the most, the, the number one, you know, cost item on your uh, P&L. And so, you know, really looking at, you know, our staff necessary, our, our, you know, look at each staff position and say, is that really necessary? Can we outsource part of that or all of that position? Um, can we repurpose that that staff person to be able to do additional things, that kind of thing? So there's there's just a lot of things you can look at. Nice, love that. So let's back up the bus for a bit here because I know you're brilliant. I know you have a fantastic background, but some of our peeps may not know what that is. So how did you get into all of this in the first place? Um, how did I get into being an entrepreneur? <laughs> well, no, into the into the Profit Academy. Let's start with that one. The, Our architects, in, sorry, <laughs> profit architects. Yeah, the profit, the profit architects. Um, so um, that's probably a good product. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this is kind of a, a reinvention of myself um, to some degree. So that business that I mentioned that I sold for millions of dollars, um, and and at the time I had zero debt when I sold the business. Um, I pocketed all that money and really envision my life very differently than what happened, which is that in 2008 to 2010, I literally lost everything. And no, it doesn't help to know that I was in good company in that financial crisis, that a lot of other people lost anything. It still sucked mm -hmm. and it was very painful. Um, and, I, and I mean, I lost everything. Um, so clearly I'm a very shitty investor, but a good business person. <laughs> Um, That's okay. For the longest time there, I was the, the poster child of how not to invest. It was like, everybody said, buy low, sell high. And I went, oh, buy high, sell low. I got it. <laughs> yeah. 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 I um, yeah. So, um, you know, in my case, um, you know, and this is not something that's easy to publicly admit, but I spent about eight years in what I call the seller of shame. Mm -hmm. um, I actually lived in my um, one of my friend's basement. Uh, for about five months, um, you know, granted it was a 13,000 square foot house, but it was still living in a basement. Still a basement. For, come, come on. It's still a basement. Um, Were there bars in yeah. the window though? Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kidding, kidding. kidding. Um, yeah, it was pretty bad. So, um, you know, I went through a period, uh, you know, you go into survival mode when you go through something like that. And, um, you know, I, I sort of clawed and scraped and, and, and that kind of thing. And I, and I did, you know, some online consulting, online marketing at that point, and, and, but kind of stayed away from being in the fray of the entrepreneurial circles that I've been in uh, for so long. And, um, you know, it was really a couple of years ago that I, I really hit a low point. And um, interestingly enough, it had to do with, you know, a, a woman that dumped me more than, 
but it was for money reasons. So it was all connected. And I, and I was, I was in a really bad place and I was like, you know, I, I got to figure out, you know, how to pull myself out of this and what, what is my why, right? What is my purpose? And I, I, I came up with, I, I, I need to help entrepreneurs and hang out with entrepreneurs because that's kind of what I've done for the last 25 years until I went into the seller of shame. And um, I need to get back to that and, and doing it. So I started the consulting company, the Profit Architects, um, started doing sales training again, uh, getting myself back into it. And then um, I also stumbled into an organization called the Global Leaders Organization, uh, which is modeled after EO, YPO, Vistage, those types of entrepreneurial communities. Um, it's a newer organization. I, I signed up and, and the Pittsburgh chapter chair uh, of that organization, but I also got elevated to be the executive VP of the organization. And now my job is to um, find, recruit, and train uh, chapter chairs to start chapters for a global leaders organization, or we call it GLOW, uh, all over the world. Um, so when that piece fell into place, it was like, you know, I, it, you know, unfortunately it wasn't some master plan I had. Uh, it was just that I had set that intention. And when that piece fell into place, it was like, okay, I'm here. Now all I do all day long is hang out with and help entrepreneurs. Nice. I love it. And I've seen a couple of the presentations they put on and they were absolutely fantastic. Love them. So who do you love to work with now? Who would you say is your ideal client? I get it. You have a whole spectrum of them, but who do you have the most fun with? So, um, I, so my target in my consulting and coaching is to work with businesses typically within like a one to $15 million revenue range, um, because that's my sweet spot, right? That's the size of companies that I built and grew and bought and that kind of thing. So that's kind of where my comfort zone is. I've never had a corporate job with a big company. So if somebody needs help with their sales team or sales training, for instance, um, that's part of a big corporation, you know, I'll look at it, but typically I, you know, it's like, nope, that's, that's Cheetos and my hamster only eats beer. Um, and, and so I'll, you know, focus on those type companies, but, um, interestingly, so I, I also ended up working with coaches and consultants, uh, with sales training. And, um, I kind of fell into that, uh, by accident. Um, I, I hired a LinkedIn lead gen company and I started working with the president of the company, giving him sales training, and he had me work with some of their employees. And at one point in that relationship, I went and said to them, you know, you guys are great at what you do. You're getting people there three to four calls a week that you say. But if those people on the back end suck at closing and converting those uh, prospects you're putting in front of them into clients, you know, the ROI is not there. And it's always about the ROI, which is another conversation. But um, so I started, uh, they, they worked up these packages for their clients that included sales coaching from me. So over the last 18 months or so, I've been working with a lot of coaches and consultants, many of whom have no sales background training, nor do they want to be a salesperson or want to be salesy, or, you know, they want to sell with integrity uh, and authenticity. And so I, I, it's just been, you know, you started the question with what am I having the most fun with? Um, I really enjoy that because um, there's just something about their energy that, that's really um, refreshing and, and fun to work with. And, um, and, and it's effective. Like, the, you know, it, it's that thing I said about people aren't paying attention to the bottom of the funnel. They're so focused on everything they did to get people in there and what they're doing while they're in the funnel. 
Um, but there's you know some easy things that you can do to work with somebody to get them to be better at converting more clients. And and if you are doing that, these are people you already paid for, right? All those, you know, that costs you were talking about to, to get them all that marketing costs and you got them in the funnel. And now you're like, oh, well, you know, I, I'm converting, you know, five out of 10 or, or even seven out of 10. Well, that's great. And, and you should be applauded for that. But what about the three to five you're losing, right? If you can convert another one to two of those people that you lost because your selling wasn't good enough to convert them, that's straight, that money goes straight to the bottom line because all your costs have already been there to, from a marketing standpoint to, to get them in the funnel. Nice, I love that. And talk to me for a half a second because the biggest thing that drives me nuts in the industry right now is it's all about getting people in funnel. Just get people in funnel and we'll sell them there and we'll upsell them and we'll, uh, you know, we'll do all this fun stuff and we'll make as much of the sale as we can right off the bat. And then there's no follow-up and it's like, okay, you realize that was your highest cost is your cost of acquisition for a client. Now they're kind of free <laughs> and you haven't done anything with them. It is going to, it makes me want to cry because I see so much money on the table when people leave that behind. What's your thought on that? Well, so th this reminds me of, you know, kind of one of my pet peeves is when I see all these ads and, and uh, all the marketing done by people like me um, who are saying, you know, yeah, you know, get high end clients without us, without any sales calls. And to me, well, for it's the record, just like, those aren't people like you. <laughs> those are people that people <laughs> may see as being like you or they may be in the same industry as you, but they are not like you at all. Well, Just what's amazing them. is that there are some incredibly successful coaches, consultants out there, uh, mm -hmm. probably making more money than me who use that approach. But, he, but here's <laughs> my problem with it is I don't want, if I'm going to work with somebody, especially in a one-on-one -on -one relationship, whether, and, and, and this isn't just for coaches and clients, because when you bring on a client to work with your business, whatever service or commodity you're providing, it's a relationship. Right. And the stronger that relationship develops and, and the better start it gets off to, you know, the better client they're going to be. So the last thing I want is to have somebody I've never met come through my sales funnel. It's paid me thousands of dollars to help them. And then they show up and I'm finding out, you know, for the first time who they are, what they're about. And are they going to be a PETA client? Are they going to be a pain in my ass? Because that's the last thing I want to work with. And, and again, regardless of what you're selling or, or what service or product you're providing, you don't want PETA clients. They're just no fun. Uh, yeah, you don't want PETA clients. And I would also say that there's a whole lot of clients in there that are um, adorable and sincerely want your help and your services. And if you don't have some sort of follow-up system, then you have you have zero ability to be able to connect with those people again that have given you a lot of money and haven't got the value from it. So it ends up making you look bad. Yeah, ab absolutely. Right. But those those clients can do more to damage everything else you're doing than you know making sure you're getting the right fit clients for you in the first place. Awesome. No doubt. So what might some stumbling blocks be that somebody's having right now at home? They're listening to this and thinking, oh my God, Jay, I need you so bad. <laughs> um, so it, 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 let's talk about sales for a minute because that's an easy one. Um, 
So the, the biggest thing I see with sales is that, you know, pe people don't approach sales the way they would approach actually helping and serving their clients, right? So a lot of people just show up and throw up. So they, they you know, you get a prospect in front of you, potential new client, and, all, and you just talk too much, right? You, a lot of people go into what I call professor mode. So they're trying to show how smart they are by using all these big words and flowery language to, you know, list off their USPs and, you know, all their, you know, fancy ways that they deliver their service or product or why their product's different and that kind of thing. And what they're missing is being able to really ask, the best way to look smart to somebody is ask intelligent questions more than just spout off, you know, to things that you know and say, oh, they're clearly going to get that, you know, I'm smart and I can help them. Um, so that's that's a big one. Um, and then the other thing I mentioned, the ROI thing, is that a lot of people don't get that it's always about the ROI, right? And so, like, if you have, say, a two to three um, uh, call sales process, right? You're going to meet with them two to three times before you convert them into, into being a client. A lot of people will go like, oh, well, I kind of had an ROI discussion with them in the first call, right? So I, and many people even don't do that, but assuming you did that in the first call where you're asking questions about, okay, well, what's a new client worth to you? What's the lifetime value of a new client worth? You know, what does that mean for you in terms of, you know, actual revenue and profit and, and that kind of thing and, and have that ROI discussion to say, okay, well, getting this new client on board or these new clients, several uh, is going to mean X, Y, and Z. So, you know, therefore, when you present what you, whatever you charge for your product or service, it's like, it should be a no brainer in a sense, because you've already laid out how, you know, your, if your solution works, it's going to paint their future in a positive ROI way. So a lot of people, if they've done that in the first call, they think, oh, I, I kind of checked that box and they don't do the same thing on the following calls. And so what I say is, no, 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 you've got to have that ROI discussion on every single point of contact. They have to be continuously thinking of the reward that comes from your help and the service you provide and not look at you as an expense. So, it, you know, some of that's real simple, but um, so, so the other thing I'll just add quick on, on that note is, you know, I say sales is 80% confidence and 20% art. And because it's a conversation, right? It, it can't ever be a science, but to be good at the 20%, to be a good artist, right? Every great artist, whether it's a musician or an athlete or anything, right? They do extensive training to build up their basic skills first, right? So that when it comes to making art, the skills come naturally, it's muscle memory, it's, it's just there and it flows. And most people don't do that when they think in terms of sales conversations, conversations with prospects, um, you know, they kind of just lose that whole mentality and um, it goes out the door. Got it. So I know listeners are gonna want more from you. How do they start their journey with you? How do they get in touch? Yep. Um, it's pretty easy. My email address is my name. So jay at bearbrother.com. And my uh, website is theprofitarchitects.com. And um, there's plenty of opportunities on there to get in contact with me or schedule a, a FIC discovery call. 
Awesome. So if you're driving right now, go to awarenessstrategies.com slash blog, and we'll have all of Jay's information there for you. Uh, you can look it up there and connect with them, of course. Let them know you heard them on the Little Blue Pill for Business. Awesome. So before we go, any last words for Pete, Jay? Put your hamster on a diet. Find something other than beer that the hamster likes and, uh, you know, grow smartly with profit rather than just keep throwing junk food in, into your hamster's mouth. Awesome. Sounds great. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate your time. This is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being here with us. If you know anyone who would make a great guest for the show, or if you have any questions or topics you'd like me to discuss, reach out to me at michelle at the little blue pill for business.com or connect with me on LinkedIn or Facebook. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to our show. I am all about being a resource center for entrepreneurs to give them the information and the support they need to make it in business. As such, I have Taking Your Business Digital Q&A every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Mountain. To register for that, go to awarenessstrategies.com slash digital. That's D-I-G-I-T-A-L. I look forward to meeting you and actually finding out how you are. So see you on the flip side.